You are listening to the Plant-Based Superpower Mom Podcast, a podcast designed for moms seeking to incorporate all components of living a plant-based lifestyle, including food and far beyond. And welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based Superpower Mom Podcast. I am your host, Emily Wood, a registered dietitian, helping moms create more energy, confidence, and connection through the power of holistic plant-based living. If you are looking for more support on making the switch, you can request to join my free Plant-Based Superpower Mom Facebook group by clicking the link in the podcast description. In today's episode, I spoke with Dr. Reed Mangles. Reed is a nutrition advisor for the nonprofit Educational Vegetarian Resource Group, as well as the nutrition editor and a regular columnist for the quarterly publication, Vegetarian Journal. She is a co-author of the Dietitian's Guide to Vegetarian Diets and of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics 2009 and 2003 position papers on vegetarian diets. Reed has authored several books for the public including the Everything Vegan Pregnancy Book and Simply Vegan. We start by talking about the meaning of vegetarian and veganism, along with the many definitions of plant-based. We spend a bulk of the conversation answering that big question, can you have a healthy vegan pregnancy? We also touch on some special considerations for vegan infants, toddlers, and adolescents. We end with Reed sharing with us the many wonderful resources available through the Vegetarian Resource Group. Thank you for listening and enjoy this week's episode. Hi, Reed. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Hi, Emily. I'm happy to be here. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast because when it comes to the vegan lifestyle, you really are known as one of the experts. <laughs> and I just know you have so much valuable information to share with all of us. So I, I just want to thank you again. So I want to start by asking, because it seems so obvious to a lot of us that have been following a plant-based or vegan lifestyle for quite some time now, um, but I want to start by asking you, what is the difference between being vegan, being vegetarian, or following an omnivorous diet? Okay, well, omnivorous basically means you eat anything, anything and everything. So it's a, a that would be someone who's not following a vegetarian diet would be called an omnivore. Um, a vegetarian would be someone that doesn't eat meat, fish, or poultry. And a vegan is a type, a subtype of vegetarian. A vegan tries to avoid eating and in some cases using any animal products whatsoever. So I know I was actually talking with one of my friends the other day about when she decided to make the switch over uh, to vegan eating, and she didn't realize at first that that didn't mean that she couldn't have fish. She she went out to eat and, and ordered shrimp, and someone she was with was a was a uh, was vegan, and she said, "Well, you can't. You're not supposed to be eating eating shrimp." <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not sure how that got started. I think I I see some people saying they're pesco vegetarians, which means 
they're a vegetarian who eats fish, which is kind of a weird term because if you're a vegetarian, you don't eat fish. So it's like, I, it's, it's one of those words that bothers me. Semi-vegetarian also bothers me in some ways. Everyone is semi-vegetarian. Everyone eats veg some vegetarian foods. So it, it really is a non-descriptive term, but a lot of people do um, think that vegetarians eat fish because there will be, because a lot of people call themselves vegetarians and eat fish. So it can be kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a little bit of confusion too, speaking about that is that a lot of people don't throw fish into that meat category. Um, so I think that creates some of that confusion as well that we're talking about. Right, right. And then, you know, even within vegetarian, tradition. if you're a traditional Asian Indian vegetarian, you wouldn't be eating eggs because that would, they tend to be lacto, lacto vegetarians, but they would use dairy products, but not eggs. So there's a lot of nuances under the term vegetarian. It's when I was practicing as a dietitian, I'd always ask people, tell me what you mean by vegetarian. Mm -hmm. It's pretty confusing. Mm -hmm. For sure. So I know these terms get used interchangeably. I'd love some clarification or opinion uh, on, on your point of view of this, but what is the difference or is there a difference between a vegan diet and a plant-based diet? Yeah, that's a real um, interesting question. Vegetarian Resource Group, which is a nonprofit that I volunteer with, looked into that, asking people what it meant when they used the term plant-based diets. And our answers were really all over the map. For some people, it meant that they ate mostly plant-derived foods, so mostly grains and beans and fruits and vegetables, maybe with meat, maybe not with meat, maybe with chicken, maybe not with chicken, maybe with fish, and so forth. So I think among sort of people in the whole foods plant-based movement, they're often using a vegan diet synonymously with whole foods plant-based diet, but the general public and the media um, just see it as a diet that includes a lot of plant foods with no special, um, it's, it's not like um, you can't eat other animal-based foods as long as you mostly eat plants. So they're not, depending on who you talk to, they may mean the same thing, they may mean something different. A vegan diet is pretty well defined as not using any animal products or eating any animal products, but it may or may not be whole foods. Whole foods meaning as foods that are, have as little processing as possible. So you could eat a vegan diet that is um, some of the fake meats that are highly processed, um, a lot of um, even what we would call junk food, and that wouldn't be a whole foods plant-based diet, but you could still call it a vegan diet. So it's, it's, it, you really, it's one of those where you need to define your terms if you're using whole foods plant-based diet. What does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel too with, with the vegan diet, and you, you got into this a little bit, is vegan doesn't necessarily equate to healthy. Because as you mentioned, there are a lot of alternative meat products or processed products that are vegan that if you're eating them in high frequency, you're not really getting the health benefit of eating this way. Eating a whole foods diet, which is what you know, ideally we'd see. Ideally, a vegan diet would be mainly fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and beans, and that would be the bulk of the diet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to get into a little bit more um, about like the women, the pregnancy side of things. So from what you've noticed or read or, or have heard, what are some of the major concerns with women who are hesitant to have a vegan or plant-based pregnancy? Well, I think probably one of the biggest concerns is that their family members, either their parents, their partner, or their friends are questioning them and saying, are you sure this is a safe thing to do? So I think even if you're pretty confident that you can have a healthy pregnancy, I think hearing other people questioning it, maybe it's all right for you, but what about the baby? I think that can be a big concern with women. Um, protein is probably the question that I hear about the most. Can I get enough protein as a vegan when I'm pregnant? Um, iron deficiency is common in all women, or not all women, it's very common in pregnancy, and um, it's something, it is an issue for vegans, but it's also for omnivores. And then um, I would say my, one of my concerns would be making sure that the mom has enough vitamin B12 because it is such an essential nutrient. So those, those would be the ones. So as far as the nutrients that are required in higher amounts in pregnancy. Um, and people might say, well, I need to eat meat to get those, or I need to have dairy to get those things. What are some of those plant foods that will give us those nutrients that are required in higher amounts in pregnancy? Sure. Let's look, let's start with one of the, the big ticket items because it's, it's, um, in gram amounts, which is a larger amount, <clears throat> excuse me, than some of the other nutrients. So in pregnancy, <coughs> excuse me, in pregnancy, you do need about 25 grams more protein than you need when you're not pregnant. For, so for some women, this would be a 50% increase in the amount of protein that they need when they're pregnant. Where would you get that from a vegan diet? Well, protein would be, um, in most foods, fruits are not a particularly good source. Neither are junk foods or oil or anything like that, but um, beans, soy products, grains, um, and vegetables all would be providing proteins. So by eating some more calories, which is also a part of pregnancy, and choosing foods that are particularly good sources of protein, so maybe having an extra serving or two of beans or soy products a day, that's the way to get enough protein. Iron was another one that came up. People say, oh, you have to eat meat to get iron. Well, that's not true. Plant foods do have iron in them, and I can plan a vegan diet pretty easily using, um, again, beans and whole grains and vegetables, particularly as good sources of iron, that has as much iron as many meat-based diets. The issue with iron is that it's not as well absorbed from plant foods. So there are things you can do to increase iron absorption, and that would be having a source of vitamin C, like oranges, orange juice, um, cantaloupe, broccoli, um, along with meals, tomatoes is another one, along with meals containing iron to increase the amount of iron absorbed. And most pregnant women um, will take some sort of an iron supplement. That's something to discuss with a healthcare provider. But the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends that all pregnant women take a low dose 
iron supplement just because iron deficiency is so common in pregnancy. Then um, I think you, oh, vitamin B12 is a vitamin that um, we think about with vegans because it's only found naturally in any substantial amounts in animal products. If you're not eating animal products, um, you don't have access to those sources of vitamin B12. So vegans do rely on foods with vitamin B12 in them. So fortified foods like many plant milks, um, not all of them. I was really surprised to find the one I've been buying for a long time did not have vitamin B12 added to it. Um, so fortified plant milks, um, some of the vegan meat substitutes have vitamin B12 added to them. Some of the nutritional yeasts are grown on a media containing vitamin B12, and they have vitamin B12. And then most prenatal vitamins are going to have vitamin B12 in them. So a lot of women, that's where they get their vitamin B12 is just from their standard prenatal supplement. And then you mentioned dairy products. The two things that come to mind if you're not eating dairy products are where do you get your calcium and where do you get your vitamin D? And first of all, just to clarify, in pregnancy, you don't need any more of either calcium or vitamin D than you do when you're not pregnant. You might say, whoa, wait a minute, you're making bones for your baby, so where, why don't you need more calcium? What happens is in pregnancy, you actually absorb more of the calcium that's in your diet. So there's an increase in absorption, a reduction in losses of calcium. And so you're actually hanging on to more of the calcium in the foods you're eating. So if you're a vegan and you're um, obviously not using dairy products, you're getting calcium from particularly green leafy vegetables like kale and collard greens, mustard greens, turnip greens. Um, many women, again, use fortified um, plant milks as another source of calcium. And um, then there's other lesser sources but that still have some calcium in them, tahini, almonds, beans. Um, so those would be sources of calcium. Vitamin D is a challenge for both milk drinkers, cow's milk drinkers, and vegans to get. Even though cow's milk is fortified with vitamin D, you'd have to drink a lot of cups of cow's milk to meet the needs <clears throat> for uh, vitamin D. So it's generally recommended, unless you live in an area where you're in the sun 15 or 20 minutes a day so that your skin can produce vitamin D, and that wouldn't be in the winter in the north, or if you're using sunscreen or if you work inside, that most people, um, vegan or not, need a low-dose supplement of vitamin D. And that's found in some of the prenatal vitamins. Some women opt to use a standalone um, supplement of vitamin D. Yeah, I, we are, um, I actually live in Buffalo, New York. So oh, you're not going to get much vitamin D. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So all the people I see is one of the first questions I ask is, you know, have you had your vitamin D level checked? Are you taking a vitamin D supplement? Because uh, a, a lot of people, they don't, they don't think about the importance of that nutrient. Right. So it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just kind of laughing to myself. I'm like, oh, she means Buffalo, New York. We don't, don't get much that. Right. Or, or even if you're very conscientious about putting sunscreen on. Sunscreen keeps your skin from um, starting the, to make vitamin D. So if you're real good about sunscreen, which you should be thinking about skin cancer, you're not going to be making much vitamin D. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great in the point. summer in Buffalo, New York. Yes, yes, that's that's a great point. So this 
came across, and I, I just really wanted to see if you've found any research or heard anything about this, um, but when you're developing, uh, the developing fetus, now have you seen any research that shows how the mother eats, if that impacts the taste preferences of the developing baby at all? Well, there's one interesting study that may shed some light on that. Um, people have gotten excited about it. Um, what happened was in this study, um, women were randomly divided into groups and some of them drank carrot juice during their third trimester of pregnancy. Some of them, so they only drank it then, some of them drank carrot juice during the first two months when they were breastfeeding, and some of them didn't drink carrot juice at all. And then when they gave the infants, once they had, um, were ready for starting to eat some solid foods, once they gave them their baby cereal flavored made with the carrot juice, the ones that whose mothers drank carrot juice when they were pregnant or when they were breastfeeding in the early months, ate more of the cereal and showed, I love this expression from the study, fewer negative facial expressions. Oh. <laughs> they didn't grimace when they were given this carrot flavored cereal compared to the infants whose mothers never drank the carrot juice. So the authors concluded that flavors within the amniotic fluid around the fetus and in breast milk may help infants become accustomed to flavors in food that they may be eating. So there's, that's the, really the, there may have been other studies, that's the one that's cited most often when they say, oh yes, what you eat when you're pregnant can influence your baby's food preferences. I've heard anecdotally about garlic, certainly in breast milk, that babies have seen, have a, if they're used to their moms eating garlic, they, they like the taste of garlic. Um, yeah, and whether it impacts your baby or not, I mean, you should be eating healthy during you your pregnancy. And if it's a little bonus that they happen to like vegetables more, that's a good thing. Right, absolutely. And I think part of that also, not when you're pregnant so much, but you know, later as the baby starts being aware of what you're eating, just seeing you eating those foods is so important that these are, you're, you're signaling these are good foods. You're showing, you know, you're saying, I'm eating these foods, they're good foods. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get into a little bit of the breastfeeding end of things. And, and I don't think there's any debate that breastfeeding your infant, unless something medical prevents you from doing it, breastfeeding is the best food for your infant um, as opposed to a formula or something of that nature. So, but when you are weaning your child off breast milk or if they flat out decide like uh, my youngest did at eight months he just didn't want to breastfeed anymore or take any breast milk of any kind <laughs> um you know what 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 formula is, is the best like what what um why would a, a whey protein based or a cow's milk of some sort if they're at that age why is that not ideal well um that's that's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to qualify this a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are philosophically 
vegan and wanting your child to follow or your baby to follow a vegan diet, soy formula is the only way to go for that first year after birth if you're not breastfeeding. Um, and that's not a reflection particularly on cow's milk formula as being a bad thing. I'd love to see, you know, I would just interject here, I'd love to see every woman breastfeeding, but in a situation like yours, say you've adopted a child, that's another situation where you're just, you're not going to be able to breastfeed in any significant amount. Um, so you'd, you are looking for a formula that would fit with your vegan preferences, and that would be a soy formula. Another issue that comes up is where people say, well, you know, um, eight months old, I should be able to just give them, you know, a glass of milk. They're able to, maybe they're drinking some water from their sippy cup already. Why can't they just drink um, cow's milk? And there, the issue is that cow's milk was designed specifically for babies, baby cows, and it's way too high in protein and calories sodium, even in some of the essential, it's higher in calcium than babies need. And it's just a big stress on developing um, kidneys and gastrointestinal tract to deal with this um, food that wasn't designed for a baby human. So that would be why I wouldn't certainly wean a child onto cow's milk um, specifically. And then even after that first year, when I think pediatricians would say, okay, it's fine to start cow's milk, there again, um, if you want your child to be vegan, you certainly wouldn't wean them onto cow's milk. And then the other issues would be that um, cow's milk is quite high in saturated fat. It has some cholesterol. There's no real need to use cow's milk when there are um, plant milks, particularly soy milk, that can meet the baby's needs once they're no longer breastfeeding or using a soy-based infant formula. So as far as a plant-based milk, um, I know you just mentioned soy, but I do get a lot of questions about which one would be recommended for a toddler. And would you recommend soy or do you have some tips in maybe choosing the best one for your child? I mean, obviously if there's a soy allergy, you wouldn't go to a soy milk. Um, right but any other tips for moms that just wanna make sure they're choosing the best plant-based milk for their toddlers? Yeah. yeah, for toddlers, because they have a pretty small stomach capacity um, and often aren't eating a lot of higher protein foods. It's not that they need so much protein, it's just that soy milk is a good source of calories and of protein. It doesn't mean they have to drink gallons of it, a couple of glasses a day should be enough, but it just, it's more challenging to get in enough protein and calories if you're using almond milk, say. It's just not, it does not have much nutritionally in it. Um, doesn't mean you should never use it, you wanna cook with it, that's fine, but as a primary beverage, for those early years, I really do think soy milk is the way to go. And like, unless, as you said, there's a soy allergy, in which case, that's when, that's an individual consultation with a registered dietitian to figure out, well, what else can you do to modify meals to make sure that the child is getting, say, enough protein and enough calories? 
Yeah, and, and a lot of the times too, and you touched on this a little bit, is that when I get asked that question, I will say, well, well, how much food is the child eating? Because if they are getting their calories and protein and nutrients from predominantly solid food, then the plant-based milk, it might not be you know, that, that huge of an issue if they are drinking, like you said, the lower calorie, their lower uh, fat almond milk or something like that. Right, but you know, I do hear of the the picky two-year-olds, let's say, who've decided to live on plain pasta and not much, maybe plain pasta and applesauce, very limited diets. And in that case, if they're used to drinking a fortified soy milk, it kind of gives you as a parent a little bit of, okay, I'm not going to stress about this food jag that they're on or this fear of new foods, this neophobia that they have. It's, it really is a bit of peace of mind. Although you can get, like you said, the child that is just devouring a variety of whole foods, whole plant-based foods, and you say, okay, fine, that's great. So it, it is truly an individual consideration. Mm-hmm. It, it's funny because my youngest son Um, Well, I'm going to back up a little bit. I was listening to a plant-based pediatrician uh, doing a talk, and she mentioned that, you know, some of the initial concerns with making this transition with young ones is, is, you know, are they going to get enough protein? Are they going to get enough calories? And generally the answer is, you know, yes, if it's a well-planned diet, uh, there's variety in things. And, And she said the only exception with the calories is that if for some reason, your child decides that all they want to eat is, is vegetables. You know, it's just all vegetables. Mm-hmm. It's not very calorie dense. And my, my youngest, he's, he's about to turn four and he went on a kick for a few days where literally all he wanted to eat were frozen mixed vegetables. Uh-huh. I'm like, well, that's great, buddy. But uh, <laughs> you got to get it a little more variety. And I just thought about that. And I'm like, I, I, when she said it, I'm like, I never have to worry about that. And then my son, it's all he wants to eat is like frozen vegetables for three days. Exactly. And a, and a few days of frozen vegetables is fine. You know, if that's for whatever reason they choose to do that, it's probably not a big deal. But, you know, you're always thinking, how long is this going to go on? You know, we're looking at more trends over time. And, you know, a week, two weeks of just frozen mixed vegetables, you're probably going to be missing out on some things. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So uh, sticking with the transition topic, if if a mom is really struggling with their child, getting them to eat more of a variety, their child's just really picky, um, you know, what are some tips maybe for sneaking in some things or introducing more things? What what are some things that you would suggest for for a mom or a parent to try? Sure. Um, I think one thing just to be aware of, and I, I'm sure a lot of, of people know this, but um, toddlers are normally quite neophobic, quite afraid of things new. Um, it's part of development. It's not unusual for them to just want the same things, particularly with regard to food. It's something they can um, control somewhat. You can't force it in their mouths. So knowing that one of the big tasks is to remove the newness of the food. So having it be introduced 
repeatedly. I've heard five, I've heard 10 times. And I've also found that kids do better if you don't insist that they eat it. It's on their plate, they may smell it, they may smush it, they may lick it, they may put it in their mouth and take it out again. This is all getting them acquainted with the food. So don't be too quick to rush to judgment and say, my child doesn't like X, Y, Z. Just keep repeating, you know, introducing that food. So that's one thing. Um, then there's the, if they're old enough at all, getting them involved, helping them, you know, go to the grocery store, they pick out some of the food, you know, you give them some choices between healthy foods you'd like them to eat, get them involved with making things if you can, um, model eating the foods, try it with dips. If they don't like vegetables plain, try dipping it, try different um, preparation methods. I, I had one, one of my daughters was pretty picky and she would eat um, Chinese, what we call Chinese vegetables, which were cooked like in the Chinese restaurants with a little bit of oil and some soy sauce. And that was the best way to get her to eat vegetables. Um, so, and then as far as the putting them in things, I think pasta sauce is most people's favorite way. You blend up the vegetables and put it in the pasta sauce. Um, that can backfire on you if the child finds out you're doing it um, and won't eat the pasta sauce anymore. So it might be smart to let them know that it's you've got some vegetables mixed in, but they won't really notice they're there or something. You know, talk about somehow let them know so it's not like a big surprise. Like, oh, you didn't tell me you were putting spinach in my pasta sauce. Yeah. Um, which I did for my father, even as an adult, you know, I'd be making pasta and my mother would say, your father won't eat spinach. And I'd say, it's okay, I'm mixing it in with the sauce. He'll never know. <laughs> and he never did. <laughs> um, so some, we do these things sometimes. Um, some people um, will, if their child likes smoothies, they'll put some um, baby kale or baby spinach in the smoothie. Um, calling it a green smoothie, not lying, you know, not presenting it as anything it isn't and not saying, aha, now you ate spinach, you must really like it, but just presenting it as a green smoothie, you know, not a spinach. Um, so those might be some things to try. And then there's the sort of, you figure out what they'll eat. I pretty much fed one child or she ate baby carrots, peas, broccoli, Finally, she started on red pepper, corn was okay. Pretty limited repertoire for years. And then eventually she eats everything now. You know, so it's it's may seem like an eternity at the time, but it's not like they get extra points for eating a huge variety of vegetables when they're two. It's just in keeping the foods introduced, you know, so they're familiar with them, trying to be pretty calm about it. And if they're not, if you feel like they're really neglecting, like they don't need any bright orange vegetables, which would have a lot of vitamin A in it, finding some other way to get vitamin A into their diet or not relying on green leafy vegetables for calcium if they won't eat kale or collards or anything like that, find another source or sources of calcium for them. 
And I'm really glad you mentioned that about your daughter, that it was really years before she acquired these tastes for a variety of vegetables. Um, because I think a lot of a lot of parents might get concerned if it's been, you know, a few weeks and their child isn't eating maybe a vegetable they presented a couple times. And um, so so I'm glad to hear you say that because you know, I mean, that, that's the reality of it, is that you do need to introduce these foods multiple, multiple times, maybe in a variety of ways even, just to get them, as you said, acquainted with these. And, and, just, and just being that example, too, I think is, is prime. You know, you have to, I always, my, 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 son, my two sons, they're, they're three and a half and five, and they are that they're at that terribly picky age, but my oldest, he's starting to eat more and more and it's very gradual. And even my youngest too, he's starting to actually try stuff now before it was like, uh-uh, I don't like that. And I'm like, you didn't, you didn't even try it. Um, but, but I would always, you know, I'd sit down on the couch with my big bowl of carrots and celery. Well, I, I still do this. You know, I sit down on the couch with my big bowl of carrots and celery. I don't say a thing. I just sit down right next to him and they'll look over my shoulder and they'll say, mom, what are you eating? And I'm like, oh, a carrot, would you like one? And they'll grab yeah. one. And my three-year-old, sometimes he'll just take a bite and put it back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm fine with that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I think that's great. That's great. And then there are a few studies that show if you give the, you know, if you're trying to promote, like the carrots and celery made me think about that, giving them cut up carrots and celery while you're making dinner, when they're really, really hungry, they may, without thinking, just eat them. You know what I mean? That that's, they eat more if they're given ahead of time sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is watching other kids. I think one of my picking daughter, it's a terrible way to describe her. But <laughs> she came home from a friend's house and said, we had this really good thing. It's, she said, we had red pepper. It was really good. And I, I thought to myself, I've offered you that for years and you wouldn't eat it. <laughs> you know, at her friend's house, it was suddenly cool. So, yeah. you know, exposing if you have friends who have um, adventurous eaters have <laughs> your child eat at their house sometimes. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> so moving a little bit into the older kids, the adolescent phase. I mean, a lot of these adolescents, well, I, I know childhood obesity is a huge, huge thing now, which is a whole other topic. Um, but then you have the flip side of that is, is these kids that are very involved in athletics, very highly active. Uh, which would require a greater amount of calories. Is, is it possible to get that greater amount um, with whole plant-based foods? Yes. Um, yes. I mean, there's, uh, there are, are books written by, um, I'm thinking of Scott Jurek, some of the um, vegan ultramarathon types who eat unbelievable quantities of food to fuel their exercise. So yes, it is possible. It does mean eating pretty often. It does mean choosing some um, foods that are, are pretty high in calories and nutrients. And there I'm thinking even things like nut butters, um, looking for a high quality energy bar. You know, these are kind of smoothies. Um, I usually don't find that protein powders are needed. I know some athletes swear by them just because they say they just cannot possibly get enough calories without something really concentrated like that. So it's entirely possible. Um, I've seen it, you know, high school uh, wrestlers, um, 
certainly the cross-country runners, soccer players. Actually, this is a good place to put a plug in for Vegetarian Resource Group. We've got a teen frequently asked questions FAQ section on our website, which is written by either high school athletes or um, college-age volunteers who were high school athletes. And I've looked at their answers as to how they um, ate vegan while participating in sports in high school. It's a really nice place to look for information. Mm, that's excellent. Thank you for mentioning that. You're welcome. And that, that actually brings me into my last question uh, for you, because I know that you are heavily involved in the Vegetarian Resource Group. And, and quite honestly, I didn't even know it existed <laughs> until a couple of years ago. And I really just, it's just such a plethora of information right at your fingertips. And it's all very credible science-based information um, or information that has been reviewed, you know, by you, um, as you just mentioned with, with the teens and, and what they do and, and all of that. But what kinds of resources are available on there for, you know, for pregnancies or, or for information about, um, you know, raising vegan children or making the transition? Uh, what kind of things are available on through the vegetarian Excellent. resource group? Thank you so much for that nice, nice um, shout out to the group. Yeah. Yeah, we've been around about Ooh, a little bit more than 30, 30 plus years at this point. So we've had a lot of time to get materials together. Um, there's a brochure about vegan pregnancy and children. So it has a lot of um, sample meal plans, um, menus. It talks about specific nutrients, um, gives suggestions for vegan infants, toddlers, preschoolers. We have a separate um, brochure handout for teenagers. I mentioned the FAQs. Um, we've got um, some articles on raising vegan children. Loads and loads of recipes. Um, and I know we've done a number of articles on kid-friendly recipes, cooking with kids, school, you know, what to pack in a school lunch, all sorts of things like that. Um, we have a Facebook group for parents of vegetarian children. So the parents may not even, even be vegetarian themselves. They may have a child that comes home and announces, hey, guess what, I'm vegetarian or I'm vegan. Um, it does happen, I've heard. from. What's that? Oh, it does happen. It, it's quite, actually quite common. But it's also for parents where the family is vegan or vegetarian, and they would just like to have a group to network with and to think, you know, to help brainstorm solutions sometimes or um, ask about, you know, I've moved to a new community. Anybody know if there's a uh, vegan play group or a vegan friendly pediatrician? It's, it's a good place to get information like that. So the link to that is on our website. Perfect. And that's vrg.org, correct? That's right, Emily. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no problem. And I know, too, you've written a book about vegan pregnancies as well. Right, right. And there will be a new edition of that coming out, I believe, next month. It's published by Adams Media, and it's called The Everything Vegan Pregnancy Book. And I do have uh, the version that's out now, and it really has everything you need to know about having a vegan pregnancy. <laughs> it's a wonderful resource. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Reed. This, this was wonderful, and I can't thank you enough for your time. 
Um, if you want to read more about uh, Dr. Reed Mangles, her full bio will be in the, this episode description. And once again, if you want to check out the Vegetarian Resource Group and other wonderful resources, the website for that is vrg.org. Uh, thank you again, Reed. This was wonderful. Thanks, Emily. I've enjoyed talking with you. If you are liking the Plant-Based Superpower Mom podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe button and share with your friends and family.